0: Alright, today we are in John 7. Um, let see if I remember. Two weeks ago, we started John 7 and we talked about Jesus' brothers. We talked about how they, um, they had their own agenda and they thought they were a PR firm. Last week, we talked about Jesus dealing with danger and the example that we have of how to deal with danger. Today we're going to be in John chapter 7, we're going to be in verse 14 through 24 and we're going to talk about being teachable for the teacher, and I'll start with a story. When I was, I don't even know how old, I would guess about eight, nine, ten, my grandpa was on vacation in Palm Springs, and he called, and I picked up the phone, and, hey, Pa, how are you? He says, I'm good, can I talk to your mom? It was weird, simply because my Pa would never get off the phone with me within you know, five minutes, five, ten minutes, he, he was just, for me, he was the happiest, cheeriest guy you'd ever meet. He just, he exuded happiness perpetually. And I thought, okay, so I gave the phone to my mom, but it was a little weird. Why did he get off the phone so fast? My mom talked for about two minutes and she had this kind of ashen pale look on her face and it turned out his aorta was rupturing while he was on vacation and they were rushing him in for surgery. So he called to let my mom know and more realistically to say goodbye. There wasn't a good chance he was going to live. I remember through the experience my uncle, my mom's brother, was interrogating the doctor who was going to perform the surgery. Where did you go to college? Where did you graduate in your class? Where did you do your residency? He was going through all the stuff. And I remember him being irritated. He was cut off. The doctor said something along the lines of, Look, I don't have time to give you my credentials. I've got to try to save your dad's life. And the phone call was over. You want to know what happened next? You have to wait till the end of the sermon. The point is, I want to talk about credentials. I want to talk about wisdom. And I want to talk about excuses. In this section we're going to look at today, we're going to see a group of people, the Jewish authorities, and how they didn't think that Jesus had the credentials to do what he came to do. They didn't think that, first of all, he had the credentials to teach them, let alone to be the Messiah. As we look at this, what I want to make sure of is that we don't fall into the same trap. We don't question the credentials, we don't question the wisdom, and we don't look for excuses. So if you'll bear with me, I will tie in my pause aorta rupturing, to John 7, and whip it all back around to our lives. Or at least I'll give a shot at it. We'll see what happens. John chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 14. About the middle of the feast, remember this is a feast of tabernacles or feast of booths. They're synonymous. Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. All right, the credentials. If you look at verse 14 to 18, you'll see here that Jesus came to the temple. He walks in and the Jews, who are the Jewish authorities... They say, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus is coming to some intellectually astute people. This is the the creme de la creme of the intellectual elite. And they say to him, Mr. Jesus, who do you think you are teaching us? Who did you train under? Where did you go to seminary? You think you have something to tell me? We would never do that, would we? But let me ask you a question. Did it really matter? If you have a toothache, who do you call? When you go to the dentist, don't you like to see a piece of paper on the wall that says something like, I graduated from dental school? If you want to build a, uh, a cabinet in your house, or, uh, let me rephrase it, if you want to have somebody build a cabinet in your house, who do you call? A carpenter. And don't you want the carpenter to have the credentials of carpentry? While he's there working on the cabinet, would you say, I have a toothache? Say, oh cool, i got a bunch of tools. I don't think so. You probably might not call the dentist out to build a cabinet. If you want some financial advice, you call a financier. If you want a new carburetor, you don't call the financier, you call a mechanic. Credentials are important because they tell us who we're dealing with. They're not the end-all be-all, but they're a good place to start. So what about Jesus? Does Jesus have the credentials to be the Messiah? Where do you go to get the credentials to be God in the flesh? You go to Heaven U, right? He said to the, to the Jews, I went to Heaven U, I'm the only graduate, I was the only student valedictorian, also the teacher, founder and the president. Where do you pick up the credentials to be the Messiah? Interestingly, Jesus talks about that. If you remember back to John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those are pretty cool credentials. Think back to John 6. Remember Jesus fed the multitudes, and they started following him. He's talking about I'm the bread of life, and then he says, basically, he's he's giving a more fuller a more full. Here's my grammatical mistake. Explanation of this. He's saying. Here are my credentials, here are my witnesses to prove that my credentials are true. Jesus has laid out, throughout the beginning of John, the fact that he has the credentials to be God in the flesh. But the problem with that is, credentials are not the only thing. For example, I graduated from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and you're not looking at me like, right now like, wow, are you? I understand. But if you ran in pastoral circles or theological circles, you would be a little impressed because Trinity Evangelical Divinity School is one of the finest uh, seminaries the world over. If you go to Trinity and graduate like I did, I can actually show you the piece of paper It says Master of Divinity, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. That means that I have been equipped. I have credentials. But that doesn't guarantee much of anything, does it? Nobody answer that, okay? (laughs) There There are people who are dentists, who graduated from dental programs that I wouldn't trust to pull my tooth any more than I would trust a mechanic to yank my tooth out. Just because you have the credentials doesn't guarantee that you have the ability. As Christians, you and I know that Jesus has the credentials. If we didn't, we wouldn't be Christians. If you don't know that Jesus came down from heaven, that he was God incarnate, fully God and fully man, you got a little problem with being a Christian. Who are you putting your faith in? If you don't know that Jesus died on the cross, rose three days later, and shed his blood to pay the price for our sins, you're not going to really be a Christian because what are you believing in? You understand what I'm saying? If we don't believe he has the credentials, we don't really have faith. But the devil doesn't deny the credentials of Christ. He wouldn't say, oh, who do you think you are to teach me? No. James talks about even the demons know who he is and they shudder. So what I want to see here is, what do we do from the credentials? The the Jewish authorities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Scribes, they had a problem with the credentials. Lots of people have problems with the credentials. I was online this morning, CNN.com, big article up front, probably the most ridiculously stupid article, pardon my language, I've ever read in my life. I don't remember the guy's name. But he's talking about how Jesus was nothing more than a guy who could heal, um, who was a pauper that was... Uh, blown out of proportion he considers himself a Christian he doesn't believe in miracles just the the stupidity of the article is ridiculous but what he was saying was he didn't believe Jesus had the credentials to be who the Bible said he was as Christians we know he has the credentials but the credentials aren't the end all be all because you got to go from the credentials to the trust you're a dentist, okay can you pull my tooth? I can pull your tooth the tooth still in your mouth, isn't it? The carpenter, can you build my cabinet? I can build your cabinet, but there's still no cabinet. I need a new carburetor. You can put it in, but the carburetor's still not in the car. Here's what I mean. Just knowing the facts doesn't get us anywhere. It's knowing that Jesus has the wisdom and trusting in the wisdom. Let's get to the wisdom part. I know people. I almost said family and friends. Ignore the family part. Pretend I didn't, right? who've graduated from some of the, the finest uh, schools in our country, Harvard, Brown, Columbia, Yale, some of whom are at the very top of their class. I know people, not family, friends, who graduated from uh, medical schools, Harvard, Columbia, Yale, legal school at Harvard, within the top five students of the class, not percent. And some of these people couldn't cross the street without tripping on two curbs and getting honked at in between. There's a difference between book smart and street smart, No. Book smart means that, that you have knowledge in your head. Street smart, in my opinion, means that you can apply the knowledge in your head to reality. Just because you go to Harvard Medical School doesn't guarantee a great doctor. It guarantees someone had the opportunity to have a bunch of knowledge thrown at them, and they had the ability to regurgitate knowledge on tests to get a piece of paper. Now, it's not a bad thing. I, I'm not, not, if I'm having an aorta done, I wouldn't mind a doctor out of Harvard Medical School. But it doesn't mean that's the best doctor in the field. It doesn't mean that person has the greatest amount of wisdom. Well, Jesus clearly had the ability to, to gain a lot of wisdom. Let's stop here one second, because I don't want to gloss over this. I'll ask you, when Jesus was seven months old, Charlie seven months old, baby Jesus, seven months old, sitting on Mary's lap, could he talk could Jesus, was he sitting there Charlie is drooling all over himself, spitting up and was Jesus potty trained and was he he came to church and he's like God, today can we pray for my friends who are drooling and not walking, and I'd like to say Hero Israel the Lord are... do you think that was Jesus at seven months like he walked around just fine no, he drooled he spit up a little bit I bet he couldn't talk, why do I mention that? Jesus talks about where his teaching came from. You understand that Jesus learned things and didn't know everything. I mention this because I think sometimes we mispicture Jesus as a seven-month-old who talked and walked. Baby Jesus didn't, wasn't born with the concept of, of everything known. He was fully God. He's also fully man. He was not limited in the fact he was God. But he was completely limited in areas based on the fact that he was fully human. When God came down and became man, he did not cease to be God. He didn't lose any of the uh, there goes my mind not working. Attributes. He didn't lose any of the attributes of God. But he lost some of the accoutrements. What do I mean? Example. The disciples said to Jesus, When are you coming back? What was Jesus' answer? Sum it up real easy. I don't know. How could God not know? How is it possible that Jesus didn't know something? Because for a period of time, God in the flesh decided to lose some of the accoutrements. You know, another attribute of God is God is omnipotent. He's everywhere, right? Jesus wasn't everywhere all at once. Why am I sharing this with you? Because if I can confuse you enough, the rest of the sermon I can just... I'm sharing this with you because I want you to understand the credentials of Jesus... He was God in the flesh. Fully God, fully human. How do you mesh the two? I can't explain it. But what I can explain is this. Don't force and create a Jesus who's not, so that you can understand him and put him in a box. There are people who have tried to explain how Jesus didn't know when he was coming back by saying that, well, he didn't want to tell the disciples. Well, if that's the case, he lied to the disciples, and if Jesus lied, he's not perfect. There are some mysteries that surround God, because God is grander than we are. God's ways are not our ways, but, but God is not us. Our minds cannot fully grasp who God is. We, we, we can grasp enough of him to know him well, but we don't know everything about him. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He came down to earth, and he, he was educated, he learned, from who? From God the Father. You understand what I'm saying here? He's fully God, but he's fully man. So he has the credentials because he's fully God and he's fully man. And he sinlessly learned from the Father. So his teaching is not his, but his who sent him. You have a conversation like this with a five-year-old, it gets really confusing, and I understand that because I have trouble articulating it. Let that mystery sit with you. It's okay to not fully grasp it, but don't create a baby Jesus who walked and talked. Okay? This was not God in a human costume. This was fully God, fully man, and the more you think about that, wow. But the more you think about that, you realize, yeah, he understands. He lived as one of us, but he also lived as God. So he graduated from the finest institution. The question is now, when he crossed the street, did he trip on the curbs and get honked? Was Jesus just book smart, but not street smart? Or did he, did he have uh, the credibility to show that he could do well what he said he could do? Well, the Pharisees didn't believe it, so Jesus took circumcision. He said to them, I'm paraphrasing here, verse 19 on. So, so guys, listen. Do I, do I have the credentials to teach you? Do I have the wisdom? How about this? Leviticus says, eight days after a male child is born, you've got to circumcise. And we all know it says it, and you know it says it, so it's what we do. And if a child happens to be born eight days before the Sabbath, they're getting circumcised on the Sabbath. You guys don't push it off before, do it early, you go on day 8. It's what God said of doing, it it, it supersedes the Sabbath. And you're telling me, you know, rigorous legal circumcision guys, that it's wrong for me to heal somebody on the Sabbath. You understand how ridiculous that is? He says to them, and they say, absolutely not. You're crazy. Here's what Jesus is saying. Circumcision was given as a sign of the covenant way back in the day, not from Moses, he says, but from the fathers. You've got to go back to Abraham. If you, if you read closely in Scripture, you'll find Moses almost got killed because he uh, kind of missed that Leviticus passage about circumcision, but, but he had a good wife. His wife bailed him out, as often happens. He says, the point of circumcision was to show a right relationship in a covenant with God. It's an outward sign of a spiritual healing that takes place when you're in a right relationship with God. Me, Jesus, who am I? I'm the culmination of circumcision. That sounds like a really wickedly nasty title. I am circumcision personified. (laughs) Jesus came not to be an outward physical sign of a right relationship with God, but to actually allow all people to come into a right relationship with God. So there's no longer circumcised nor uncircumcised, free or or slave, Hebrew or Greek, right? Jesus was a culmination of circumcision. Jesus is a culmination of everything from the Old Testament. You'll see that next week in a pretty neat way as we continue in chapter 7. But he's saying, look at the wisdom I have. You know the law... The dots and the tittles of it, but you can't apply it because you got book smarts, but not street smarts. You don't even understand what circumcision's pointing to. But yet, they miss the whole thing. Here's the neat thing about Jesus you got an example right there of wisdom, of street smart, with book smarts. As you read through the entire New Testament, you have example after example after example of the wisdom that Jesus brings along with his credentials. As you read the whole Bible, Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation, you see the credentials and the wisdom all put together. Which brings us to this point. The Jewish authorities, they stopped at the credentials. I don't believe you. I don't believe you're who you say you are. As Christians, and this is where I want to be careful. Too often we stop at the wisdom. If you're in a building, say it's a high rise, and a fireman comes tearing into the room, get out, get out, get out, quick. What do you do? Why? Because I'm assuming he's a fireman, he's seen the fire, and i got to go. So if Jesus comes in and he says to you, do this, do this, do this, do this, what do you do? Do Well, that's what we should do. (laughs) If I'm in a building and the fireman's yelling, get out, get out, get out, I'm not going, well, how do I know you're a fireman? You can buy those costumes somewhere. How long have you been a fireman? Did you see the fire? Do you have pictures? Can you prove to me there's a fire in this building? I'm out. I'm out of there faster than you can bat an eye. I. I mean, after all the kids and the women get out, I'm out of there. <laughs> but if Jesus says, do this, I don't always run right away. I want, I want to see the credentials relayed out. Remember Gideon? Give me a fleece. Make it dry in the ground wet. Boom. All right, now let's try it the other way. Can you do it the other way? Sometimes I say, alright, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I, I, I'll intellectually agree that you got wisdom. And I'll do this if you can show me what I'm looking for. It's kind of silly, isn't it? You can burn up pretty good in a building if you don't leave when the fireman says leave. Well, as Christians, we're not going to do too much burn. And we're going to actually, the Bible says, escape through the flames of the fire. But it's kind of utterly ridiculous when Jesus tells us, to do something, to kind of say, who do you think you are to tell me to do that? I kind of like being in the building here, Jesus. But we would never do that, would we? You understand why we do that, don't you? Because Jesus calls us to some crazy, crazy stuff at times. Sometimes he calls us to stuff that just doesn't make sense. Kind of like a fireman saying, jump out the window. You're saying, but I'm 30 floors up. He said, jump. He said, I'm not jumping out of the window. You're a fireman, but I know what happens when I jump out the window. Well, sometimes Jesus says crazy things like, jump. And then says, it's going to be okay. And then we have to jump, don't we? But it doesn't work from our perspective. And what we're saying is, like my uncle, who do you think you are going to be performing a surgery on the aorta? Where would you go to school? I don't remember the details. So let's say the guy says... I went to Harvard Medical School. All right, where'd you graduate in your class? I was first in my class. Where'd you do your residency? Right here at Harvard University. I was the best resident there. Okay, but how long have you been practicing? How many order procedures have you done? I want to know, I want to... What if the doctors time and said, so, wait, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, what the heck do you do? Well, who are you to judge my credentials? I, I have your dad's life in my hands. I'm telling you I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. You're gonna check up on me? You, you wanna watch me perform the surgery and kind of correct me along the way and help me under, you understand? So we say to Jesus, Jump? You're crazy. He said, Am I crazy or, or are you crazy? You're telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. We're supposed to pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. And God says he'll provide for us perfectly, right? Who determines the perfect provision? Us or God? Who would you like to determine the perfect provision? You see the problem here? Because what we're saying is, you may have the credentials, but we got the wisdom. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the world says, oh, please. You believe that nonsense? You're just some, some crazy teacher that's blown out of proportion. Do you think Jesus is going, oh, no, they don't believe in me? No. He's saying, you fools. Here's where we go. Excuses. For the doctor to heal, assuming he's healed, right? I didn't finish the story. He's not going to walk in the door, just so you know. For the doctor to heal my grandpa, he has to lay down on the table so he can perform the surgery. When we come to faith, God doesn't slam us down on the table involuntarily. He says to us, Look, why does he give us his credentials and examples of his wisdom? You start to see the grace and mercy of God. He doesn't have to do this. He's the only physician out there. Right? He doesn't have to give us the credentials. He doesn't have to show us the wisdom. But he does. He says, Come to me. Lay down on the table and I'll perform some surgery. I'll heal you. It's called justification. See, I'm a graduate of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, so I can use big syllable words here. I don't know what they mean, but I heard them. It's called justification. And justification is when through the work of Christ, our sins are forgiven, the gap between us and God is covered by Christ, and we become acceptable before God. We are healed from our sin on the table. We're no longer a slave to sin. We become a slave to Christ. And that's not the end of the story, it's the beginning of the story. And this is where it gets tricky for us, for those of us who know Christ. We go into this other process, ready for five-syllable word here? Sanctification. I can spell it if I look at it in a book. Sanctification is a process for when you're healed on the proverbial table, you're made right before God, you begin to grow into a more Christ-like nature. So you're right, you're going to heaven, you're, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're forgiven from your sins, you're acceptable before God, you can approach Him directly. And now he's going to grow you into a more perfect Christ like nature. This gets scary because this is where we have to trust. And what we do sometimes is we make excuses. The Jewish authorities' excuse was, You're not who you say you are. We're not listening to you. Now, we would never tell Jesus we're not listening to him, would we? If Jesus wanted to speak to us, we would listen. Absolutely, right? I hear you. What are you saying? Oh, Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. I don't hear anything. Okay, good. I can do what I want. You understand when I say how important it is to read this and know what it says. It's not because my job is to try to make your life meaningless, dull, and boring. My midweek thought this week was, kind of a, was about a, how not all the stories in the Bible were dull and boring. None of them are dull and boring. They're just rough. When you don't know it all real well. You understand. You have to understand what this really is. Imagine you got a letter in your mailbox tomorrow. And it was addressed to uh, Patricia Bonsall. The return address at uh, University of Heaven. And she's looking at it. And she opened it up. and Well, pause there a minute. She's looking at it. And somehow she knows this letter really came from Jesus. But she just puts the envelope away. Oh, gosh, i got a lot to do. QVC's on, right? i got a lot to do. I'm going to put this away for another day. And years and years down the road, she pulls out this... <sighs> oh, remember when this thing came? I'm picking on Patty because I know she'd read it right away. And we leave the letter and we never look at it. It'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Well, here you got 66 of them. And we leave it folded up and let it collect a little dust and we break it out occasionally and read a little part of it. Folks, you got to understand, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, Uh, just like that song, they had deaf ears. Sometimes we have deaf ears because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to allow us to learn from God through His Word. Sometimes we have deaf ears because we start with the blind eyes. Don't be like the Pharisees. Crack it open. But when we crack it open, we run into those passages. Remember those hard passages? The, The unequally yoked passage, for example. And it works like this. We start looking for an excuse. The Jewish authorities' excuse was, you're not who you say you are. Our excuse is, you don't know what you're talking about. This way works better. The Great Commission. Go forth and make disciples. We say, well, I've heard people say. Well, you know, that wasn't talking to people today. I was talking to the apostles. And and then here's another big term. I'm throwing terms because I'm I'm flashing credentials. Hyper-Calvinist. Oh, doesn't that sound great? Don't even worry about what it is. It sounds great. Justification, sanctification, hyper-Calvinist, let's go home. People who take a theological teaching to an extreme that gets way out of control. People will say, we don't have to share our faith with anybody because God's going to do what he wants to do. doesn't matter what we do. Kind of true. It's true, but there's another truth that goes on top of that, which says, you need to be out sharing your faith. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, Some people say the Old Testament's irrelevant today because we have the New Testament. Where does this hogwash come from? We make excuses. All right, I'll I'll, I'll get you good with this one, right? I'm tired. I was away this weekend. Memorizing Scripture. I I can't do it. I don't have the time for it. I'm going to store up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God says... Memorize, meditate, read, feast on this thing. This is is the food we need to eat. And we say, I can't. I don't have time. I don't want to. If you feel like you can't do it, you're in a perfect place. You know why? Because on your own, you can't. But you have to understand that Jesus doesn't tell us things because he wants to make us miserable. Oh, you guys are busy. I'm going to make you busy. Are you scared? I'm going to make you scared. -er." You, you know, you're unhappy, you're depressed, I'm going to make you more... De- no! Jesus is telling us what to do because he has the credentials, and he has the wisdom, and he's going to care for us perfectly. He's going to grow us into a more Christ-like nature as we trust him. Not our way, his way. Fireman says, go, go. Jesus says, do, do. Just like you wouldn't tell a fireman, no, I'm sitting here, you're far crazier to tell Jesus, no, I know better than you. I'll tie this thing up for you. So my grandpa, the aorta, in case you don't know, here's your heart. Here's your aorta. It's the largest artery coming out of your heart. That sucker goes, you go. There's no way to live with your aorta ruptured. Well, his aorta was partially ruptured and tearing apart. They didn't expect him to live. So he called. My uncle interrogated the doctor. The doctor hung up on him. My mom got on a plane. I still to this day want to know what she paid for that ticket because she was in the air two hours after the phone call. And she landed, I think it was right about when my grandpa came out of surgery. He lived through surgery. And he had a a recovery period. He was in the hospital for quite a while. It was quite a vacation he had. But he lived. He lived for, I want to say, about ten years afterwards. Lived a healthy life, continued to travel all over the world. Uh, But imagine this. Imagine if the doctor when my uncle was interrogating him, said to him, look, there's no risk. It's a 100% guaranteed successful procedure. You, and your dad's going to live no problem. It's impossible for him to die. I'm that good at what I do. And imagine he was able to say this in a completely truthful way. Would my mom have spent the fortune to get on the plane and fly out? Why? I mean, he's fine. He's going to be home a month or so. Would my uncle have felt the need to interrogate and be stressed out going into the procedure? No, because he knows how it ended up. Would my... My pa had been concerned getting on the table thinking he was about to die. Absolutely not, because he would have known he would have been perfectly fine. Here's a neat thing about Jesus. Jesus has a 100% success rate. He, well, un- unless, I should check. It's not happened yet throughout history. But has, has Jesus ever let anybody down? Has he ever said something that didn't come true, lied to anybody, misled anybody? Okay, Whew. I would have ruined this one. Jesus has a 100% success rate. First of all, and remember that justification of washing you clean, making you right before God. If you get on the table, if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you, if you acknowledge that you're separated from God from your sin, if you accept Christ's forgiveness and the work that he did and turn your life over to him, 100% guaranteed success rate. He has never lost anybody who the Father has entrusted to him. You understand that? That's pretty cool because the aorta thingy, that's physically detrimental to your life. You die physically. If you have a problem with sin and die, that's a little bit worse than the aorta. You know, uh, uh, physical death, I don't know if you know this, you probably should, we're all going to die one day. No one has ever made it through eternally without dying. We're all going to die. But I think sometimes talk about getting numbed to to reality. We view death as the end. Someone dies, we have a funeral, we say goodbye, we're real sad because we're never going to see him again and that's it. No. We're living in the previews. You know when you go to the movies, you get the previews at the beginning? They've gotten longer and longer and longer. But they used to be a really short little thing, and then you get the, the main show. We're living in the previews, folks. And we're all going to die. And, and I talk to people all the time who say, Oh, I don't believe in heaven and hell. That's horrible. Why don't you believe in heaven and hell? Well, because I don't want to. Well, let me introduce you to some friends, well, not real friends, some people I know from John 7. You don't think Jesus has the credentials? How do you come to that conclusion? You don't think he has the wisdom? Frankly, I don't don't like the the heaven and hell thing too much either because I know too many people who, if they died right now, aren't coming to heaven. I'd like to change the plan a little bit, you know? I'd like to get the family and friends exclusion in. The reality of it, folks, is this. We're all going to die. And while an aorta can be scary, what should be far scarier is being separated from God. But when we're right with God the scariness should go away. When Jesus says jump, we should say, okay, when bad things happen, when things get scary and the waves get crazy, we need to realize we're living in the previews. The main show's coming up. These are the coming attractions. But when we die, which is a scary thought, the, the transition from this life to the next isn't always smooth. I'd like to go, like I said, at 92 in my sleep. Wham! Ooh, heaven. That's how I want to get there. It doesn't always work that way. But when we go through the difficult times, don't forget this. When we suffer and struggle and go through difficulties or watch people go through that, God has not forgotten about us. God's allowed it for some reason. Why would God allow that? I don't know. But I do know this. When we get through onto the other side and look back, we're not going to say, God, you're a fool. How, How could you let it go down like this? How could you let me suffer or so-and-so suffer? That was so wickedly cruel of you. We're not going to say that. We're going to say, God, what is wrong with me? How could I not trust that you knew what you were talking about? How could I doubt for a minute, to me, what looked like bad was really better than I could ever imagine? You ever ride a roller coaster? You sit down on the seat and your heart starts racing and your palms start sweating and you thinking, I hope I don't throw up in the next minute and 30 seconds. I just want to get through this. And and you get through the roller coaster, and you're like, it wasn't that bad. It was actually fun. I'm going to do it again. Life's kind of like a roller coaster, but you don't get to ride it again. When we get to the end and we meet Jesus face to face, I'll make you a guarantee. The man's got the credentials. He's got the wisdom to put one heck of a ride together for you, and here's your job. You get right smack dab in the middle of God's will and you don't move to the left or the right. He'll keep you right there. He makes that promise in his Bible. You get right there smack dab in the middle of God's will and you hang on to him for all you're worth, realizing that he's got you tighter, so if you slip, you're still good. And enjoy the heck out of the rot. Because while it may get scary and it may flip and turn and twist, here's the deal. The conductor of the train that we call the roller coaster knows exactly what he's doing He's got the, the wisdom to pull it off perfectly. And as we sit right there smack dab in the middle of his will, we will be utterly amazed by what he'll do. So perhaps there you sit. You got $5 to your name and a bill for 500 bucks due tomorrow, right? Well, well God says that he's going to provide for me perfectly. I got $5 and a $500 bill due. Let me preface this. If you spent 495 getting drunk the night before, don't expect a God. Remember, I said you've got to be smack dab in the middle of God's will here, okay? But if you're walking in God's will, you don't freak out at that point. You start to smile a little bit bigger. You know why? Because you see, God, we only got 12 hours left. I don't have to wait days and days to see how you're gonna come through. It's just a matter of hours. And you wanna know something? He'll come through. Sometimes he waits to the hours dwindle down low to show you how great he is. But the reality is, we want the $500 bill with $5 bucks in the bank, because then we don't have to trust in God. It's a lot more comfortable way to live. No, it's not. A $500 bill with a $5 to your name is a far more comfortable way to live when you see God comes through perfectly. Remember, we had a debt owed to God we couldn't pay. What are you going to do? Time's a ticking. God sent His very own Son to die on the cross for us. Now, do you really think that He's going to have a problem paying the Pico bill this month? No. So you say, well, what if he doesn't send the money in the Pico bill? Well, just hang on there a minute. He's going to care for you perfectly. You just got to hang on through the ride. We live in the middle of the book, right? You got to wait till it plays out at the end, and you're going to look back and say, oh, my word. Here's what I want you to get. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? The next time you start thinking that... How is it that Jesus knows what to tell us when he's never gone through... Uh, oh, yeah, he did go through what we go through, huh? When he has no idea what it's like to be a... Yeah, he does know what it's like to be a person because he was fully person. But okay, but, but how is he supposed to... Oh, yeah, he's God too. So you understand he knows what he's talking about, right? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. There's the question. Do you want to do God's will or do you want to do your will? Do you want to be in charge or do you want to let Jesus be in charge? You see, we get stressed out and freaked out when we want to be in charge and we refuse to let go of the position. Give it to Jesus. He knows better than you do what he's doing. I wouldn't trust anybody here to pull a tooth out of my mouth. But for some reason I think I can trust myself to guide my life perfectly. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? Maybe I should get the perspective right. Nobody's pulling my tooth. But I'm not guiding my life. I'm going to trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Next week, we're going to continue on here in chapter 7, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to see pretty neatly how this guy with the credentials and the wisdom is the center of everything. And we're not. But we're invited to be children of he who is the son of the center. For this week, remember this. The resume of Jesus, it's a pretty amazing resume. So who are you going to trust to perform the surgery, spiritual, on your life, both for justification and sanctification. You or God. It's a choice God gives us. He doesn't force us on the table, and He doesn't drag us along after we come to faith. It's an open invitation to be His servant. But it's an awesome place to be. Trust me, I've tried it a little bit. I've got to try it a whole lot more. But I've got credentials from Trinity. Let's pray. Father, You are you an are awesome God. Uh, I I am just, the more I quiet my mind and refuse to allow the world to distract me from who you are, the more amazed I am by what I find. God, you are so incredibly patient with us. You are slow to anger. You are completely forgiving. You offer second and third and fourth and fifth chances, but not on our terms, God, on your terms. God, I pray you would help us. I pray you would help us. Get the sin of deity desire out of our mind. That you would help us understand that you did not make us to determine right and wrong. That you didn't make us to determine moral north and south. That you are the way and the truth and the life. And that we were made to know you and to worship you and to obey you. Not because you want to suppress us and push us down, but it is because within those boundaries that you've created for us that we can live life and live it abundantly. I pray you help, would help us understand that truth more fully, that you would reveal yourself to us more deeply. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in such a way that we would fully understand your credentials. We would fully understand the wisdom that you bring to the table. And in light of that understanding and knowing who you are more fully, we would be unable to say anything to you but yes. Whatever you say, Lord God, Yes. In 1 Samuel we read, Samuel saying, Here I am, Lord God, your servant hears. Speak. Speak to us, God. Tell us your will. Empower us through the Holy Spirit to do your will. And amaze us. Day by day. Help us wake up each day to see the reality, the clear reality of who woke us up. To understand why you woke us up and entrusted another day to us. And help us to live that day not on our terms, but on your terms. Not based on our wisdom, but on your wisdom. God, I pray that you would forgive us for all those times in the past that we've sought to make excuses to distort the truth or flat-out refuse to believe you. I pray that you would, uh, for those of us who love you, you would assure us of our faith deeply. For those of us who don't, that you would reveal yourself to us more fully and that you would grow each and every one of us, as you promise, into perfect Christ-like character, that you will complete the work you started on the day of Christ Jesus. Lord God, thank you for the fact that you love us, that you came to us, that you revealed yourself to us, and you offer forgiveness to all who would come, and life abundantly to all who would serve you. It's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray all these things. Amen.